Jeremy is getting ready to read to you the scripture for uh, our thoughts today. It's found in 1 John. And just a, a brief word. 1 John is an example of one of the classic epistles where we're not exactly sure who the author was. We're not 100% of the, sure of the dating, but we know it was near the end of the first century. We know it's in, in context when we're starting to see the last of the scriptures that we have as our New Testament written, and it's written with the intent to give some final messages to the church as it begins to mature. And as it matures and spreads out into more and more lands, into more and more people, the author has a concern and a hope to be able to make sure there's instruction left so that future generations will understand uh, some core basic understandings of the faith, that they would not get distracted or pulled away by other thoughts or beliefs. And so in this section, very beginning of First John, you hear him addressing the issue of who Christ is and how that connects with the reality that we battle called sin. This is a message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice of our sins, and not of ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Thank you, Jeremy. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Good and loving God, we hear this word given to us from long ago, but having relevance in ways that are remarkable even today. So help us hear your message. Help us to hear what we need for our life and for this world. And then, in hearing it, let us by our actions and words, both individually and as a community of faith, proclaim hope and salvation and joy and love, as you've always intended it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So how is your sinning coming? Doing pretty good? Yeah, I, I, I sort of knew the choir was pretty good at it. Um, is it getting any better? And when I ask that, do you think I'm asking whether or not you're better at doing your sin? Or better at moving away from your sin? Are you here today, in all seriousness, because you are sin-sick, or sick of sin, 
and need healing and hope and restoration and forgiveness? Are you here today because you're living with someone in your family, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your church that is drowning in destructive, debilitating, terrorizing sin, and you just want to know how you can reach out and help them? Are you here today to give God thanks that your sins are small and that they don't stink as bad as others? Well, the author of 1 John assumed that in some way, when we gathered together as a community of faith, whenever that was, part of our issue would be that of sin. He is writing in the final days of this first century to prepare the church on how to address and talk about sin moving forward. His message is clear and simple. And I want to summarize it for you right now in four simple movements that won't take much time. And to help me with this, I'm going to invite you to take your bulletin and open it up to the section where you see the Scripture. Keep it in front of you. In fact, I'm going to encourage you to take a pen or a pencil or something that you can write with so you can mark a couple of things fairly quickly. And after this morning's sermon, if you run into somebody else who has a belief about sin, you can say, well, here's what we heard about, and this is where the Scripture gives it to us. I am first struck by the first part of the first sentence. This is the message we have heard from him, that is Christ, and proclaimed to you. Underline that. I think it's interesting that the assumption here by the author is that we begin with an intimate enough relationship with Jesus Christ that we would have heard a message from him, one, and then found some desire and ability to proclaim it. Let me ask you this question. If you were asked, and I am asking, what would be the simplest form of what you would say is the message that you have received from Jesus Christ that is worth proclaiming to the world. I didn't say, what message have you heard Rick Dake tell you? Or anyone else? I'm asking, if pushed, could you say to someone else, could you have the confidence in living your life tomorrow, this is the message that I've heard from Jesus Christ that is the most central to what I believe and what I would witness? Do you have an answer for that? just as long as you know it. It's critical. And this is the elevator speech. This is the one sentence. Maybe two if you're a preacher and can't ever fit anything into one sentence. What is the reason for which you would get up in the morning and live your life for, for what Jesus Christ has told you? Why this matters is that when we can become clear in answering that question, we are getting close to doing the second movement here in this passage, and that is this, to walk in the light. Look down and be in the fourth sentence in your bulletin, where it says, But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The goal for us as Christians is to live each day focused on what it would be to live minute by minute in the light of Jesus Christ. 
which is in contrast to sometimes how Christianity is understood or portrayed, where it seems to be the focus of, of Christianity is to stay away from sin or to not do these things. Rather, this is a proactive understanding. What are we doing to live in the light of Christ? What's keeping us there? What draws us back to there? What is it for you that makes that happen on a daily basis? For our answer to sin is not to focus on sin, but to focus on Christ. Okay? If we walk in the light with Christ, what happens? We are then able to live in holy relationship with others. That's how we do it. And so, how are you living your relationships in the light of Christ? I think, maybe I'm wrong, am I, that sometimes we have this thing about Jesus and me, and then we have our issue about our relationship with others, and we don't put the two together as well. It's like we have our personal devotions so then I can get up and go out in the world and deal with those people. Rather than understanding my personal relationship with Christ should exactly be the authority and power and direction for how I live with those people. Having said that, it is also true, though, in the one, two, three, four, five, six line. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Sin, for some, is an ancient concept. It's passé. We want a Jesus that fulfills, that gives us prosperity and strength and blessing and joy and makes us happy. We don't want to talk about sin. We don't even think about sin. But the author in 1 John knew that day would come. So he says to us, don't be deceived. We all sin. It's a reality. What is sin? The distortion of love. And all of us have lived with distortions of love placed upon us. And all of us have distorted love at various times in our life as we related to others. How's that, what does that look like? It looks like this. I'll love you if. Conditional love is not holy love. God does not say, I'm going to come into the world and give my son if. Rather, he gave his son with the assumption that he would continue giving that love. And sin is love distorted that takes us away from God. Sin is love distorted when we place what I get out of it more than what can be shared or given away. Sin is love when that love is putting our wants, our desires, our needs, our preferences at the center. We call that idolatry. But to love someone as intended by God, which is the way we stay away from sin, is this, to love unconditionally. And I'm going to be real clear. Anybody here ready to say they've mastered that gift? 
I mean, you might even be able to say to me, well, I love unconditionally my spouse or my children, and you know that's not even really true. I just spent three days with my kids in Chicago. I love them. But there was this moment on Thursday. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) And finally, realizing that all of us, all of us, fall short of the perfection of love, It says here, near the end of that first chapter, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And further, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Which is to say, for those of you who are sin-sick, For those of you who are pretty convinced that the crappy life you're living is the crappy life you have to keep living, who are pretty well clear about the fact that the pain and anguish that you experience in this life, real as it is, and I'm not diminishing any of it, is what you'll always have to carry, this says, not so. And the purpose of the faith community is to witness love as perfectly as we can day by day so that we can experience this and grow into this and set people free by removing distorted love with holy love. That is our calling according to the scripture passage. Now, did I make myself clear? Did that make sense to you? If not, we'll talk more about this in class uh, Monday night, or you can see Hal after this worship service in his class and have him fix what I just said. But the point is this. You need to know what I just said. Because I'm telling you, there are a whole lot of folks and a whole lot of conversation out there that says a lot of different things about sin than what you just heard from 1 John. The reason that we gather here today is to help us not live with the distortions of love, even when represented by faith communities that suggest that sin is so pervasive that it actually has to be the primary focus of the faith community. It is not our focus. Rather, our focus is to live in Christ, to focus on Christ, to love in the garden as Christ has loved us and allow that to be our healing and our hope. I say that, but I'm going to tell you the fact, when you're living in the weight of sin, that feels far away. Have you ever lived life so broken and when it has fallen apart that all you can see is the brokenness and the pain? Anybody else? Those moments are real in their impact. But they are not the way God intended our life to continue. They are not the way God intended our life or faith to be lived. When our lives fall apart, whether tragedy has entered in or some actual sin has come into our life and we are so broken, there are times we really cannot find any end of a thread to unravel the knots that we're living in. 
and the distortion of love that comes to us, that locks us into the prisons that it can lock us into, will tell us that's the way it's going to stay. That's just the way it is for me. And the distortion of love can often make that happen to those around that person. So we begin to say, that's just who they are. Do you know people in your life, have you known people in your life that you have believed that you finally got to the place where you needed to write them off? They weren't going to change. And I want to say very carefully this. There are times, for reasons of justice and safety and protection, you should isolate yourself away from someone whose sinful brokenness is destructive to your life. That happens. But that is not the same thing as saying those people are beyond hope. It's just that you may not be the one to be able to bring hope to them. But can you still love them even from a distance? The answer is yes. In fact, it's your calling. And if you, find, if you don't always find that easy, yes, welcome to the club. That's why we're here. To practice again. I've thought a lot about what I'm going to say in this next sentence, and the more I've thought about it, the more I think it is true. It's one thing to talk about my sin and to talk about what I know I do that's sinful and talk about my brokenness and talk about my pain and talk about my failings and how I can address that or talk about it or get healed from it. It's another to talk about someone else's. And here's what I've discovered. Tell me if I'm right or not. That when I begin thinking about someone else's sin, even when I've been invited into the conversation, it is so hard for me to keep judgments out of my heart. It is so hard for me not to somehow say things like, well, I'm going to love the sinner but hate the sin. Anybody heard that before? Love the sinner, but hate the sin. It sounds holy. It's probably in the Bible somewhere, like... See, Jesus did not spend time putting hate to the brokenness of someone's life to the distortion of love in someone else's life. Whenever you put hate into the equation for how you're dealing with sin, you are limiting the power of love as God gives it. Now, that does not mean that I fall in love with the brokenness of someone else's life. It is rather that I put all of my energy in loving unconditionally the other person whom... Did I just call them a sinner? What a wonderful, unconditional way to start a relationship. Sean, you sinner. I didn't really mean anything by it. I've immediately labeled you. Rather than saying, my friend, my brother, a child of God, love the sinner? Why don't you just love Sean? Or whoever it might be. And don't even go towards hating the sin. 
Because here's the sentence I want to say to you, and you tell me if it's not true, and you tell me several weeks from now if it doesn't bear out being true. We are damned, and I mean it. We are damned, living in distorted love, as much by how we treat the sin of others as by our own sins. How we talk about other people and label them and approach them or won't approach them or hold them at arm length or judge them or keep them out of the faith community or whatever it is we do about whatever it is about their life that we want to call sin that we think is a distortion of love, that damns us more than anything we can do in our own brokenness. My reference? Read your Jesus. In the Christ-like walk, we are called to walk. Oh, he got angry at self-righteous hypocrites. But did he ever hate? In a world in which we are so ready to point out other people's sins, so ready to say who's in, who's out, so ready to say who's right, who's wrong, so ready to say, I don't have time for you, or I'm apathetic towards you, or it's not my issue, Christ comes to say to us, we are called to address the distortion of love in other people's lives by loving unconditionally. Our confirmation class is up in the balcony right now, and they've been here all night. They got lots of sleep. They are well rested, I'm sure. So confirmation class and all the things you've learned this year, and in your confirmation experience that will happen next week at the 11 o'clock service. If you don't remember anything else, I invite you to remember this. Stay close to Jesus and dare to spend your life loving the world and yourself as much as Jesus did. Let that be your confirmation assignment. Let that be the hope of the world. Judgment and hate have no place in the gospel conversation of sin. Amen? But it's funny how that happens so quickly for us, how so quickly it gets distorted, how the slippery slope takes us to a place where we fall into a malaise of not worrying about judgment of other people or not standing up for the rights of other people or saying, well, that's just the way it is. Man, it happens so quickly. Now, in the book, Way of Love, Norm Wurzbuss spends some time talking about corporate sin. He talks about the coal mining industry, which is difficult to read as he writes about it. And it's worth the read. But I got thinking about other forms of corporate sin that we engage in. And I'm going to give you these three examples, and I don't mean to, you know, don't get all, just listen, okay? Just keep an open mind. We keep an open mind. Anybody else got a bottle of water in their house? I got it right here. I'm out at home, but not because of my perfect nature, just I'm out, I got to go buy some more. Any of you remember a day when we didn't have bottled water? 
Any of you remember a day, this is, this is a weird concept, where you went to the sink and you turned on the faucet and you got water and you drank it and you didn't go to work carrying your bottled water because they had water at work and at school. You remember those days? So how'd this happen? How'd this happen? I'm not sure this is the world's worst sin, but it's got to bring some issues to us, right? If you're into the issue of water, and water's a big deal in this world. We're so lucky we carry our bottled water with us while there are women and children walking miles to find any kind of water to sustain their family in this world. This is an ethical issue. And I don't know, I'm not that smart. But our focus on water to make sure I could carry my water also kept me from being concerned about the water in Flint. Funny how just, I just got a bottle of water, I'm just going to drink it. It's not that big a deal, right? Is it? I don't know. I got thoughts about it, though. All right, here's the other one. I had to look at my notes. Here's the other one. Okay, any of you remember this? I know, probably not many of you. Any of you remember <laughs> there was a day when you had in your house this thing called a table. And instead of being where you piled up the bills or laundry or whatever you use it for now today, there was a day when families used to sit around the table, and they would eat food that they cooked at home. And I am told there was a day people would talk to each other while they did such things. Any of you remember those days? Any of you had that in the last week? A few of you, some of you. And some of us now no longer eat around a table. Where do we eat? In front of the television. And who are we talking to? The dog. (laughs) Okay, that's good. That's good. I like that. Or likely no one else because we're trying to hear whatever it is we're watching on TV. Is that right or is it wrong? It's never that simple. I just know that what it has done is it's forced us to remove ourselves away from the intimacy of the preparation of food. In the garden. I just know that it means a less healthy diet, and I also know this. It means we don't gather around the table and have a conversation with each other as much as we used to. And if we are around the table, you know what we're doing. We're looking at our smartphone while we're on there. And all that takes away from this one critical issue that's the biggest defeater of sin, intimacy. Wherever there is sin, intimacy is lost. Intimacy with God, holy intimacy with each other. If I'm in a sinful relationship with you, it's because I'm no longer intimate with God. It's also because I don't anymore care about you. I care more about what I'm getting out of you or getting from you, and that's where sin comes in. Intimacy is a critical component 
How would you defeat sin? Are you with me, church? John Wesley, long ago, said, Yo, when you get together, can you guys really have a relationship with each other that matters? And when you get together, can you not just go through the motions? Can you sit down with each other and talk about these kinds of things with each other? Would you dare as a faith community to ask yourselves each other these questions and answer honestly to each other the answers like, am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I'm better than I really am? Am I a hypocrite? Can I be trusted? And do you trust me? Am I self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? Do I pray about the money that I spend, that I make, that I save? Am I jealous, impure, critical, irritable, touchy, or distrustful? Am I proud? Do I thank God I'm not as other people? Do I grumble or complain? These are a sample of his 21 questions that he gave to the early Christian, the Wesleyan movement, and said, if you want to deal with sin in this world, come together and talk with each other in this way. Be honest with each other. Lay it out there. And don't try to outdo each other in your sin. (laughs) Some of you would try to do that. Lay it out before this unbelievable love of God and love each other into holiness. How's your sinning coming? The answer is in correlation to how intimate your walk is with Christ and how much you are allowing Christ's love to radiate through you. So tomorrow... I'm going to post for you, we'll put it on the website, we'll put it on the e-blast with a sermon attached, the 21 questions. You can look at them. I'm also going to put on you these three questions you can think about this week. What is the message that you have heard from Christ, and what is your witness of that message? How are you telling it, sharing it, letting others know it? What are you doing to be more intimate with Christ and to reflect that in your life? And finally, who is being healed? Who is being comforted? Who is being set free from sin, from the distortion of love, because of how you're living your life? The answer to those questions should be self-evident to us. It's an invitation for us to focus on these. Because sin is still real. Amen? But the way to defeat sin has been given to us in the name of Jesus Christ. Let that be our gospel. And let that be our personal and corporate witness this week. Would you pray with me now towards that effort? Loving God, I'm so tired of the sin in my life. 
and how I allow it to fill up my moments of boredom and how I allow it to become the idolatry that I serve. I'm so heartsick over the brokenness of life when lives have fallen apart. And I'm really tired of standing in the face of them, wanting to run away, being tired, not knowing what to do. I ask you to allow each of us to walk in the light of Christ. To begin first by trying to regain, strengthen, and grow in our intimacy with you, Lord. Let us be filled with your unconditional love, that in so sharing that love with others, freedom becomes possible. Healing occurs. Bless this congregation and all who hear this, that we might all grow in our walk with each other as we grow in our walk with you. In the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your perfect love, forgive me. Forgive us. And let us walk out as your forgiven people. To the glory of God, and in your name we pray. Amen.